0: hello my friends of 2019 I'm your guy from the future the year 2053 to be precise I'm not actually here in your time not as a 46 year old man anyway in 2019 I'm a 12 year old kid just starting seventh grade so I'm probably playing Smash Brothers or Fortnite in somebody's basement right now anyway since I exist in your time I'm not going to give you my real name if I have the dates right, I probably just got dumped by cute little brunette, what's her face? I don't remember her name, but she dumped me in a comment on my YouTube channel, which I thought was a bit tacky even back then. Uh, you guys live in kind of a messed up time, too. If you want to call me something, you can call me No Kairos, which is a somewhat unique attribute for an English speaking person in the world of 2053. The name No Kairos is a nod to the fact that I haven't yet been fitted with a Kairos device. I'll talk more about this later, but essentially the Kairos implant is the 2053 equivalent of ancient Rome's bread and circuses. It keeps the people entertained, occupied, and ignorant of reality. And my dumbass helped develop it. So you're probably a bit curious, why and how am I able to speak to you from the future? First, the why. The good news is that we've made a lot of scientific progress, particularly in the quantum sciences. These advances have helped us cure diseases, produce clean power, and neutralize many of the problems and threats you worry about in your time. The bad news is that these same scientific advances are being used to deceive people, possibly even you, right now in 2019. Human nature hasn't changed much in the 30 or so years between our times, and some of those wielding this knowledge and technology are driven by greed, vengeance, or good old-fashioned short-sighted stupidity. I'm speaking to you to warn and inform you of the world that's coming. I'm a product of my own time and choices, and I'm not here to preach to you about good and evil. I'm so deep in the forest right now that I'm only seeing the trees. All I can do is tell you what's coming and hope that you make informed, personal choices. And there's also a selfish aspect to why I'm making these recordings. This may make more sense as I provide details, but there's an old saying that when civilizations clash, history is written by the winner. Frankly, I don't want our history erased, and I'm hoping you can help. So how can you help? Just be a bit more conscious about the choices you make. Your choices, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant, are what shapes the future. Speaking of choices, I may well be one of those idiots wielding technology irresponsibly. Which brings us to how I'm speaking to you from the future. I mentioned advances in the quantum sciences. Well, advances in those areas led to advances in quantum computing. To make a very long story short, we have a limited ability to send data back in time. Without getting too deep in the details, imagine you're playing a game of pool. You've mounted your iPhone on the ceiling to film the game. Once you're done recording, play the video file backwards. It looks weird and magical, but oddly natural at the same time. Playing that video backwards is a crude analogy for how we send data back in time. We package up our data, we attach it to the last ball to fall into the pocket, and we play that video backwards. Our little data package is passed from ball to ball until it finally comes to rest, attached to the cue ball resting on the opposite side of the table. That's our target, 2019, your present time. And once that cue ball rolls to a halt on the dot, our data and the scripts and instructions associated with it are executed. Yes, it's amazing, and like I said, it's probably terribly irresponsible of me to use these abilities to post trivial things like audio files and tweets. But the truth of it is, there are people in my time who are attempting to use this technology to rewrite history to their advantage. I posted a static audio file. They're posting malware, viruses, Things like that in power plants, hospitals, and corporate networks. They're also doing things like modifying data in Iranian government systems and making it look like the Israelis did it. And they're messing with the Israelis and making it look like the Iranians did it. In your time, the Russians are widely blamed for tampering with elections. Sure, they're doing some shady stuff, just like every other government on Earth, but bad guys in my time can post a president's entire email archive on WikiLeaks. My job is to stop this kind of thing from happening, but I'm backed by a small country that's becoming increasingly isolated on the world stage. We have leverage that ensures the dam won't break, but there are plenty of leaks and I feel like we're losing the battle. Your future and mine are at risk. Again, I just want to summarize why I'm making these recordings. I want to give you some insight into the world that's coming so that you can make informed choices. And along with that, if we've learned anything from the quantum sciences, it's that every decision, choice, and action influences the future. It's not my intention to preach good and evil. I don't know if this makes sense, but I urge you again to make decisions that allow you to retain your ability to make decisions. So I have no idea how much time I'll be able to continue posting these recordings. This thread could be closed at any time so i'll start with the general history and facts that i believe are important and provide more granular information and anecdotes in future recordings i need to be careful here specifically with names and dates many of the major players in my time also exist in yours so i need to be careful and somewhat vague when it comes to names of world leaders who won elections things like that oh and i'm not going to ruin the super bowl the world cup things like that for you either Me not revealing this type of specific information is more important to you and your time than to me and mine. If you think about it, the only time that really exists is right now in your present and mine. Uh, Let me try to explain. If I sent my mom an email back in 2006, the year I was conceived, telling her that my dad cheated on her, I might erase my preembryotic self in 2006, but I still exist in 2019 in your time, And I exist here and now in 2053. The past is like a vapor trail from an aircraft. It spreads out and changes as the plane gets further away. Memories fade and they get reinterpreted through the lens of the present. For example, in my great grandfather's time, Thomas Jefferson was seen as an absolute hero, a founder of our country, and the Japanese and Germans were seen as monsters. Those views shifted. In your time and mine, the Japanese and Germans are allies and our views of Thomas Jefferson are a little bit more nuanced. If I were to send data back to Thomas Jefferson in 1801 and convince him that slavery would split the country in half in 60 years and that the social problems and scar tissue resulting from slavery would plague the country well into the 21st century, would he change some priorities? At the very least, it would alter his course a little bit but that would change nothing in your time and mine. We're living in our own versions of the present. We're on our own aircraft, leaving our own vapor trail of history. The only thing that can modify our path, are events or obstacles that we encounter in the present. And that's where the danger lies. Passengers on my flight and others uh, are putting obstacles in front of your flight. They want to alter your course and mine significantly for reasons and using methods that I don't really understand. But one thing is certain, they can't directly influence our path. As far as I know, humans or physical machines can't be sent back in time to kill people or infiltrate politics or anything like that. There's no armies of Terminators or Highlanders. All we can do is trace your vapor trail to its source and place small amounts of code and data in your path. I know it's confusing. Believe me, I worked in the quantum field and spent endless hours debating this stuff with my fellow quantum dorks. Growing up in a digital world, you tend to see things in a binary way, black or white, one or zero, yes or no. The quantum world also has states of yes or no, but it also has a lot of maybe stuff in between. In fact, a qubit, which is the basic unit of quantum information, can be in a state of both one and zero at the same time. So as we got smarter about the quantum sciences, we realized that we have been looking at the universe through a clouded lens we were only seeing the ones and zeros, which of course exist in the quantum world, but we were not looking at all the stuff in between. We're able to see, process, interpret, and manipulate some of the in-between stuff now. And that has been like jumping from an 1860s black and white daguerreotype image to a 2019 4K display. But there's a whole lot more to learn. Anyway, I'm kind of getting, uh, Off in the weeds here, but when I do reveal names and dates, know that analysis has been done to assess the benefits and risks of doing so at a macro level. But I feel like we've only scratched the surface of this body of knowledge that is the quantum sciences. We don't know what we don't know, which probably means that our analysis is shallow and imperfect. You are the pilot of your own present path, but you're also a passenger on the larger plane that is your present universe. You have the ability to influence the path that both planes take, and that's why I'm begging you to take your piloting seriously. Be vigilant, be critical of information that you encounter, and make conscious and informed decisions. All right, so enough of my rambling. Let's catch you up on some history. I want to let you breathe the last 30 years or so of our vapor trail. So right out of the gate, in the spirit of contradicting myself again, I'm going to, re- I'm going to reveal a name. Uh, Villarica, that's spelled V-I-L-L-A-R-R-I-C-A. It's the nation in South America where I live. It's also the country that employs me to keep an eye on the United States. I'm a citizen of the Republic of Villarica. We call it VIA or R-D-V, which is the acronym for Republic of Villarica in Spanish. VIA is located in what you'd know as South Central Chile and Argentina. If you're more familiar with the area, we're in Northwest Patagonia. Our borders contain the regions of Chile known in your time as Araucania, Los Rios, and Los Lagos. Our territory also includes the Argentine province of Neuquén. Villarica is named after one of the many active volcanoes in the area. The name translates to rich place in English, and critics of our nation tend to point out that the Mapuche term for the Villarica volcano is Rukapian, which means the devil's house. However you look at it, I believe the irony was intentional by our founders. Speaking of our founders, they were horrified by the state and directions of things in North America and uh, Western Europe. Their plan was to buy some land in a relatively safe area of the world and relocate their families there. Kind of hit the reset button and try to live peaceful and productive lives away from the craziness. They looked at land in South Australia, the South Island of New Zealand, and Argentina. Aussie and New Zealand weren't willing to give up sovereignty over those lands. Argentina was, but their asking price was a bit too steep. Unfortunately, but maybe fortunately for us, the entire continent, the entire world really, was suffering the fallout of a series of debilitating, natural, financial, and political disasters. Chile and Argentina needed money urgently, and our founders literally stumbled into a very fortunate situation, and a deal was quickly made. As I may have mentioned, I wasn't born in Biarica. In fact, I'm a dual citizen officially. I was born in the United States in 2007 and lived there until my 20s. My father was one of the original investors and founders of VIA. My family relocated there permanently after a series of disasters that I'll talk about here in a minute. Before moving to VIA, I earned a degree in computer science from a public university in the Western United States. After university, I settled into a job designing cognitive interfaces for an early prototype of the Kairos implant. Basically, I helped design the middleware that helped translate computer binary code into signals that can be processed by the human brain and vice versa. It was a fun and rewarding career. Really loved it. Early on, our technology was used to help disabled veterans, accident victims, people like that use prosthetic limbs. Then we found that we could help those who were hopelessly addicted to drugs. Um, By the way, a word of warning, there's going to be some crazy new synthetic drugs coming your way over the next few years. People in your time seem worried about Russia and China meddling with elections and hacking infrastructure and such. That's a smokescreen. Those two nations are brewing up some scary, toxic, irresistible shit that will take more American and European lives than wars have over the past 100 years. Stay away from those drugs. And if you hear the word Grom, take Nancy Reagan's advice and just say no. Run the fuck away. Anyway, I'm sliding off topic. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Okay, so we adapted our technology to help people deal with Grom addiction. Then we drifted into virtual reality experiences and military technology. This is when I started to feel dirty, to feel uncomfortable about the work I was doing. The military stuff was flat out scary and our testers in the virtual reality realm tended to want to remain in their VR worlds. More often than not, stopping the test sims was reminiscent of a grommet, uh, which is someone addicted to that toxic shit, coming off a bender. People loved or needed our VR that much. Uh, My management loved the addictive element of our work and that felt increasingly wrong and slimy. Shortly before I quit, employees were given first dibs on the beta version of the Kairos implant. They received the implant and compensation for long-term testing. Initially, it didn't go well, uh, but after several testing cycles and the most hyped IPO in history, Kairos hit the streets. Shit hit the fan shortly after the Kairos launch, and we moved from the U.S. to Biarica. I'll get into that more later, but uh, Via is a gorgeous area of the world. Lakes, mountains, glaciers, fields, orchards, volcanoes. I'm looking out my window now, and it looks like the cover of those National Geographic magazines my grandfather would give me as a kid. As you can imagine, there was a bit of culture shock for both sides upon our arrival. There were language and cultural barriers, which if we look at history, could be the main ingredient in a recipe for disaster. And believe me, there's been plenty of civil unrest in the short history of our small nation, but that didn't come for a few years after we arrived. Per the terms of the uh, purchase agreement, those living in the area were granted full citizenship, and if they owned businesses and property, they were allowed to retain title and live their lives and run their businesses. Property values skyrocketed soon after our arrival. Uh, as I mentioned, South America was in such a funk that land wasn't worth much of anything. Most people had moved near to large cities in the north of Chile or to Buenos Aires. Now, money and people with money were pouring into our new nation. Some of the wasos took the money and ran. Uh, sorry, huaso means something like cowboy or dude. That's kind of the def- default slang word for people native to the area. They call us newcomers uh, a lot of things, but Norteño seems to be the most polite term. Anyway, some of the Huasos sold their holdings to Norteños and left the country to join family and friends elsewhere. These sellouts became the major source of civil unrest in our country a few years down the road. After they sold out, property values continued to rise and the money they initially received didn't last as long or buy as much as they thought it would, so many of them came back to Villa bitter in the belief that they had been swindled and deceived. Norteños, like my family, were all investors in our new nation. We had a lot of skin in the game and were granted land roughly equivalent to value of our initial investment. My father had gifted me five bitcoins when I turned eight years old. Back then cryptocurrencies were in their infancy and weren't worth a hell of a lot. I promptly forgot about them and they sat dormant for years. My father reminded me of their existence in my early teens and I created a trading and arbitrage bot that helped me multiply that gift. And I contributed a large part of my crypto holdings to my family's investment in Biarica. So I wish I could say that we moved to our huge South American estate, built a life of luxury and lived happily ever after. But we had a nation and a way of life to simultaneously build and defend. We left the U.S. during a pretty dark time in that country's history. It feels so weird to call it that country because it's, it's the place I was born and raised and I still think of it as home. Most of the American expats here in Villa feel the same way. If things changed up there, I think a lot of folks here would go back. Same with the Villariqueños that came from Canada, the UK, Europe. Building a country is hard. The early history of our country is somewhat similar to Israel's early years, say in the late 1940s and 50s. Like Israel, we've had to work hard, carve out our small nation, but we've also had to be scrappy and fight dirty sometimes. Anyway, so we left the U.S. and were widely ridiculed for doing so. The U.S. government wasn't thrilled about all the capital fleeing the country and made it difficult on those that didn't move their funds out of the country before the purchase was announced. Same story with those that left Europe and other areas. They should have been more concerned about the brain drain and the flight of intellectual capital from the country. Which brings me to why we left the country in the first place. That's a pretty long story in itself, but uh, here are the bullet points. Natural disasters, social and financial disasters, and how the government chose to deal with these challenges. So I'll, uh, I don't know how much time I have here, but I'll, I'll go through each of these briefly. On the natural disaster front, the most catastrophic event was the Cascadia earthquake. It was a huge 9.2 event that happened off the coasts of Washington and Oregon. I was living in the Mountain West at the time, nearly a thousand miles away, and I felt the quake. Three or four minutes of this nauseating, rolling feeling like I was on a small boat at sea rolling over gentle swells. It wasn't so gentle in the Northwest. Several long minutes of violent shaking pretty much trashed every freestanding building west of Interstate 5 from the Puget Sound down to Southern Oregon. Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, those cities were devastated. And uh, who am I kidding, the entire states of Oregon and Washington were devastated. Parts of British Columbia and Northern California as well. The tsunami generated by the earthquake wiped out large parts of coastline. From the southern third of British Columbia down to about Eureka, California, entire cities were simply erased. The quake happened so close that many people living or visiting in that area didn't have time to evacuate. But that was far from the end of it. The quake, tsunami, and aftershocks caused a lot of other problems. Volcanoes in that area started showing signs of life and landslides, dammed rivers, man-made dams failed, and roads and waterways were damaged and blocked. This made delivering aid to the Northwest extremely challenging. A large portion of the Pacific Rim felt the impact as well. The tsunami waves caused damage in the Pacific Islands, Japan, Russia, China, and the Philippines. There's even a famous photo of water spilling over the wall onto the patio of the Sydney Opera House. Luckily, those areas had plenty of notice, and with the exception of some of the Pacific Islands, there was minimal loss of life in those distant areas. But it was a terrible disaster, and the US, even with all of its resources, couldn't even begin to deal with the vast numbers of dead, injured, and displaced people. Meanwhile, we continued to suffer the usual array of hurricanes, blizzards, wildfires, and so forth that you see on the news every day, even in your time. Resources were spread extremely thin, and the people that weren't prepared suffered greatly. Which brings us to the social and financial disasters. Obviously, the erasure of several major cities is going to have a negative impact on the economy, but now you have hordes of refugees from the Northwest that need food, places to live. They saturate the labor markets in other areas at a time when the economy is already in shock, and you can imagine that causes a lot of conflict and uncertainty. The uncertainty causes panic in the markets, and the riots and unrest kept a lot of people and a lot of money on the sidelines. So yeah, the markets tank, people are rioting, and then the Grom epidemic hits. I talked about Grom a little bit earlier. It's a designer drug that the Russians stole from a European pharma startup. Russia made a couple of tweaks to that formula and collaborated with China to produce the drug for release into North America and Western Europe. It was intended to be a distraction uh, that might delay western nations from achieving technical superiority in the quantum sciences more about that in a minute so the us uh, is already pretty much beaten to a pulp when grom arrives no surprise the russians and chinese entrust their product to the mexican cartels or rather the mexican government it's probably the same in your day for distribution into the united states Uh, grom is the russian word for thunder I'm not exactly sure who named it, but it does pack a punch. Uh, the energy, euphoria of cocaine, combined with the sense of warmth and well-being you get from opiates or alcohol, or so I'm told. I've never tried this stuff, but that's along the lines of what I heard from those who survived it. Anyway, it was good. It was cheap, it lasted for six to eight hours, and when it suddenly wore off, you needed more, like right now. I remember watching some YouTube videos of people on PCP and bath salts when I was a teenager. Some guy in Florida ate another guy's face, weird stuff like that. Similar things happened to grommets and people around them. Withdrawal was similar to heroin for the first few hours. Nausea, aches, anxiety, things like that. And then the jonesing became more intense and psychotic. People would take off running and wouldn't stop until they dropped or their heart gave out. They'd run into a crowd of people and start swinging. God forbid if they got their hands on a weapon or managed to get behind the wheel of a vehicle. As you can imagine, the mortality rate for people who entered that second phase of withdrawal was sky high. I have plenty of stories about the Grommets and the problems that they and that drug caused. Uh, We'll save that for another day. Uh, It sucked. Anyway, the government did not handle this epidemic well. One of the reasons that really dangerous drugs like PCP and bath salts never really went mainstream is that the effects were well publicized. Nobody wanted to be the guy that eats somebody's face and wakes up naked and covered in blood behind the Big Lots dumpster. US government was dealing with so many other problems that they just couldn't make Grum a real priority until it was too late. When they finally steered resources to stop the flow of the drug, Millions of people were dependent on it, and disruptions in the supply created huge problems. As you can imagine, cities burned and people died. This is when the company I worked for started a side project to investigate the use of Kairos technology to address the uh, Grom addiction problem. We fit addicts with the device and stimulated and sedated parts of their brains. We were able to break them out of their psychotic patterns and bring them back to relative normalcy. We couldn't bring them all the way back. They were usually different people than they were before, but they weren't a danger to themselves or others. Kairos technology was already getting some attention from the government uh, for the military applications that we had developed. Our ability to bail them out of the Grom situation put us squarely on the radar. The company negotiated an expansive contract with the government and we began implanting addicts in the military with the Kairos device. The valuation of our company was astronomical and management decided to take the company public. The IPO was surrounded by unprecedented levels of hype and everyone with two Satoshis to their name wanted in. We went public and soon after we started implanting the Kairos devices in the general public. So I took my money and ran after the IPO. I was already feeling slimy about the addictive nature of the immersive virtual reality work we were doing In my mind, the fun was over after the IPO. There was nothing left to do but shoulder the pressure of living up to the shareholders' very high expectations. So I decided to take a job with the U.S. Department of Energy, who was doing a lot of interesting work in the quantum sciences and quantum computing areas. Uh, This was the arms race of my time. The U.S. and our allies, the EU, Canada, Japan, the United Korea, and uh, Australia were competing with Russia, China, and others to unlock these secrets. Unbeknownst to me, a lot of these secrets had already been discovered by the time I joined. In fact, the US government had quietly acquired, or nationalized, I guess is the correct term, a number of quantum companies who'd made important discoveries or technologies. The government kept these groups apart and compartmentalized information so that nobody had all the answers. The work I did for the DOE was pretty similar to what I was doing for my prior employer. I was developing cognitive interfaces, but I only had visibility into the organic or human side of the equation. Unlike my previous work, I had no visibility into the digital side, so we'd develop our code and then some other unknown group would test it and finish the integration. It was kind of weird and unwieldy, but I chalked it up to government bureaucracy and understood their need to compartmentalize information. One day in the cafeteria, I was whining about some of these frustrating processes to a couple of my colleagues. This was pretty much a daily occurrence. We'd bitch and moan, let off some steam before heading back to the Dev Cave. Part of my letting off steam lunch ritual involved getting outside and going for a 30 minute run. I'd get the run in, take a quick shower, then head to the cafeteria to gobble down lunch. On that particular day, I finished the run and fished out my key card to re-enter the building and as i did so a big blonde guy brushed by me and opened the door he was breathing heavy and was as sweaty as i was i was usually the only one running out around the doe compound and the guy could tell i was a little surprised he laughed and told me they'd been running behind me for the last 10 minutes or so of my run he thought about passing me but didn't want to be weird And I could relate. I have my own weird running quirks and rituals. If there's someone in front of me, I'll usually change my path to avoid passing them. And if I get passed by someone, it'll turn into an endurance race. I'll keep going until they stop or slow down and I can pass them. I know, it's kind of weird. We laughed about our weird running quirks for a minute and he introduced himself as Adam. He had a slight accent that I thought was German. I asked him about it and he told me that I was somewhat close. He was the product of Swedish and Norwegian parents and had grown up near Oslo. We were both in somewhat of a hurry and agreed to continue the conversation during our shared lunch run ritual the next day. So over the next few weeks, Adam and I stretched out our runs to about 50 minutes with 10 minutes for showers and a snatch and grab at the cafeteria. Neither of us could talk too much about the work we were doing, but we both had the same gripes about the bureaucracy and the processes General government bullshit. Uh, One day after our run, he brushed by me to open the door. Similar to how he did on the first day we met. He turned around and handed me a small piece of paper and disappeared around the corner toward the showers. My first reaction was, oh shit, this is some kind of gay love note. Uh, Nothing wrong with being gay, of course, but that's not the way I roll. I was a little disappointed that this new connection I'd made might be something different than I hoped it was. I stuck the note in my shoe and hopped in the shower, and I didn't open it until I got home that night. The note was a Tor URL with instructions not to access the site at work, home, or on my phone. Now my reaction was shit. I'm being used as an asset of a foreign government, like this guy's a spy. Uh, I'd had to go through some training courses to get my security clearance. They taught that foreign agents may try to befriend you and pump you for information, then blackmailed you to provide more. Up to that point, I'd been a good boy. I hadn't provided Adam with any information that would put me in jeopardy. I thought back, and he hadn't given me anything incriminating either, and then I thought about the bullshit that I'd have to go through to report this incident, and that if it turned out to be nothing, I'd be putting Adam through a bunch of unnecessary shit too. So ultimately, I decided to go down to the local community college and access the site through their public Wi-Fi and an ancient tablet that I'd repaired, but never really used. The site was a simple HTML-based table of information, company name, technology, description, date acquired, slash target acquisition, and the scope of acquisition. So I scrolled down the list. Many were companies I'd never heard of. One jumped off the page, and it happened to be my former employer, the creator of Kairos. The scope of acquisition read simply, to align citizen cooperation with state objectives. I read it again, to align citizen cooperation with state objectives. I stared and reread that statement for a good five minutes. All the stuff I felt slimy about felt even slimier. Were they using Kairos to control people's minds, to turn them into super soldiers, to spy on their own friends and family? All of that was possible, I guess, and it scared the hell out of me. I tried to sift through the rest of the companies and descriptions, but I really didn't have any context. None of the companies had websites, and I could only find a couple of years old press releases and mentions. I returned my focus to my former employer. The target acquisition date was less than six months away. My mind was blown. I was missing so much context. But the concept of a nationalized Kairos network scared the crap out of me. My run with Adam the next day would blow my mind completely and change everything. Adam met me outside the west entrance as he usually did. No smart ass comments or small talk while we stretched, just the, just, did you check out the site? And I said, yep. And when we got away from the main building, he asked me what I thought about a nationalized Kairos network. I told him it scared the shit out of me. Do you want to stop it? I told him, yeah. So he sprinted ahead of me and we finished the rest of our run separately. There was another note waiting for me under my phone. Now I'm uh, reaching my data limit for this recording so the, the rest of the story will have to come later. Suffice it to say that Adam was aware of my previous work with Kairos and my family's involvement into uh, what was to become Viarica. I would later learn that Adam had been the uh, chief technology officers of one of those companies on the list. That company had been nationalized by Norway and it fell under the custody of the group of nations collaborating on quantum sciences and technologies. Adam's company specialized in quantum security and encryption technologies. Essentially, his company created the keys that would start the engine to this quantum monstrosity that our nations were building. He wanted a responsible third party to have a copy of these keys in case the powers that held this technology decided to use it irresponsibly. So I introduced Adam to my father and other leaders of the Biarica project and they agreed to keep the keys and the responsibility that came with it. So those keys are the primary reason that our nation of Biarica is allowed to exist. Unfortunately, we're a small nation with limited resources We're trying to police half the world and we're trying to keep the other half of the world from stealing our keys, which would be disastrous. So rapidly running out of space, final notes, we were unsuccessful at preventing the nationalization of Kairos. Within two years, roughly 60% of the populations of the US and Europe are fitted with the Kairos device. About 18 months after Kairos nationalization, Iran, emboldened by support from China and Russia, suddenly nuked Israel. Israel hit back and the whole world sat on the edge of war. It's during this time of chaos that we're able to come to terms with Chile and Argentina for the purchase of our lands. We are literally unloading ocean containers full of our belongings when the US and its allies decided to reveal their newfound abilities in the quantum realm. Big flex. They shut down power grids in Russia, China, Iran. They lock down the world's financial system and freeze enemy assets. A note there, the majority of the world had migrated to blockchain for tracking things of value. Governments had tried and failed to outlaw cryptocurrencies many years ago and eventually settled into an uneasy position somewhere between acceptance and tolerance. The quantum flex, as it became known, reignited and settled the crypto war almost immediately. Several leading blockchains were attacked and they were modified to transfer wealth from enemy nations. I guess that could be considered the first successful attempt at modifying the past. Anyway, the allied nations ended up merging a number of these blockchains to create a single global monetary system that's based on quantum technology. Most people, even the Chinese and Russians, eventually got their money and assets back, with conditions, of course. Then they turned their attention on us. They think they have us by the short hairs. They gave us the you're either with us or against us speech and outline all the terrible things that they'll do to us or that we won't be able to do if we don't get in line. So now it's our turn to flex. We pulled out our shiny new set of keys and started our own quantum machine. We killed Kairos for 12 hours. They didn't believe it was us, so we turned it back on for an hour, and then we killed it again. This went on for a couple weeks, and during each successive period of downtime, the Russians and Chinese were able to see more clearly through the technology smokescreen that their enemies put in front of them. By the time our negotiations with the United States and its allies were complete, their enemies were able to gather information and prepare against future attacks. We're allowed to exist because we have the quantum keys. The day we lose the keys is the day we cease to exist. So that's the battle we're fighting. Now back to your time and the decisions you need to make. Does this sound like your idea of a utopian future? Will you be here with us in Biarica, worrying about losing your keys? Will you be in the U.S. living a life of infinite artificial pleasure via your Kairos implant? Or will you steer your own plane to the present a different direction, away from all this? That's something you have to decide, but think about it and make decisions that allow you to continue making decisions. Okay, I've covered a lot of content and history here. I'm starting to lose my voice, and I'm not sure if this all makes sense anyway. I feel like a caveman trying to explain to another caveman what an iPhone is and how it works. Hopefully, it'll make more sense as I'm able to get deeper on these items. If this thread continues to stay open, I will attempt to provide that depth. Thanks for your attention. Live well and make decisions that keep you in the driver's seat.